Welcome um, to Ask the Expert. This is a brief, informative, and lively discussion with experts in type 1 diabetes and related interdisciplinary research. We're recording this event. We're going to post it on the Sugar Science site YouTube channel shortly after the presentation. If you have any questions for our guests, feel free to enter them in the chat at any time or raise your hand at the end of the presentation. So today we have two guests uh, coming to us from Copenhagen. And our first guest is Dr. Christina Pedersen. She's a postdoctoral researcher at Bartholin Institute, Briggs Hospital in Copenhagen. And she has been working with um, the 2 to 5A system on both DNA and RNA levels for her entire career since her master's, first in cancer and now in type 1 diabetes. We also have Dr. Karsten Bouchard, who's a researcher at the Bartholin Institute in Copenhagen as well. He invented or described various prevention areas, which include, uh, include low-carb diets in the 1980s and gluten-free diets in the 1990s. In 2018, he was an author on the use of phenofibrate uh, on a paper that described the use of phenofibrate to induce remission in a newly diagnosed type 1 diabetes patient. This patient has been in remission for three years. Um, and so we'll, we'll kind of touch on that. His focus is really on sphingolipids in type 1 diabetes, and this focus has been really uh, ongoing since 1990s. Um, the paper, or the title of the talk today is Dysregulation of the Innate Antiviral Immune System in Type 1 Diabetes, Prevention and Early Cure. And uh, welcome um, to you both, uh, to Christina and Karsten. Thank you uh, for joining us. Um, can you give us a thumbnail sketch of your career path? What excites you most about the research you're working on right now? And you know, then we're going to sort of launch into the paper. So I'll have Christina go first. Um, it's it's definitely to to see or, or to be able to kind of contribute with with of course new knowledge and 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 basically kind of presenting how important the innate antiviral immune system actually is in, in the pathogenesis of, of type one diabetes. Um, and I, I can't wait to dive even more into it. I'm, I'm relatively new in this, in this area, but, uh, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be fun, which is not a good thing to say about a disease, but it's gonna be interesting research that's gonna come out of it. Fantastic. Carson, would you like to uh, have a few words about sort of your background? You know, what, what are you excited about right now? Yeah, I'm uh, um, most uh, excited about uh, the use of phenofibrate, uh, which we hope um, could uh, even improve the remission, maybe uh, if started early enough to, uh, to um, uh, prevent diabetes. And uh, I have been working on in prevention and early uh, cure of type 1 diabetes uh, my whole career. We have a lot of type 1 diabetes in my wife's family, so now I know about it. Um, and uh, it's really a goal which I hope I can uh, achieve before I'm going to retire, which is not now. Fantastic. Can you just make a quick um, comment on what is it about phenofibrate that um, just a sort of a large, a big statement about, you know, what is it about phenofibrate that is um, interacting with um, the type one diabetes etiology? Phenofibrate increases the amount of sulfatide, which seems to be a very crucial uh, chaperone for insulin. Um, it um, folds insulin, it preserves the insulin crystals at low pH. And uh, when insulin is secreted, um, sulfatide is um, facilitating exocytosis and monomization. One molecule of uh, insulin 
is also uh, fac facilitated by um, by sulfatide and phenofibrate increases uh, uh, this compound. Also, uh, uh, phenofibrate in, uh, is an activator of PPA, uh, alpha, and has several other uh, properties. But um, these swingulite seems to be very, very important uh, for the beta cells and uh, uh, maybe also for the entire disease. So that's my main interest at the moment. Okay, great. And would you say that um, some type one diabetic patients that um, begin, you know, uh, experiencing symptoms, are they experiencing a deficit of sulfatide? Yeah, it's, uh, we can't miss it regularly in, in the pancreas, of course, but uh, we have access to some samples from input and from the Norwegian study, David, and there we have um, uh, published, found and published that uh, there's a lower amount of sulfatide in, in these uh, uh, pancreases and islets, and uh, that fits well with the uh, idea we had about um, why, uh, how it starts and, and so on. So, um, yeah. So is this de decrease in sulfatide systemic or just to specific to the pancreas? It's uh, most likely also systemic, but um, at least we have found, or most importantly, we have found it in, in pancreas in the islands of Langhans, and we have found um, polymorphisms in, uh, in the, some of the enzymes that create these uh, swingolipids and uh, and uh, we have also found these enzymes low at the uh, mRNA level in uh, these samples from a newly diagnosed type one diabetic patient. Uh, one more question: If you had a, if if it's a systemic issue with a decrease in sulfatide, wouldn't this impact um, cells in the gut, in the um, small intestine? Yeah, could well be, could well be, uh, but it seems that these swingolipids are really important in the neural system. The brain and the peripheral nerves. Um, it's uh, a compound, uh, swingomyelin, which is um, isolating the nerves, and uh, it seems to be very important in the beta cells, um, uh, which uh, are derived not from um, from neural cells, but are influenced from neural cells, so to speak. Yeah, they have some similarities in their lineage. Yes, well, let's dive into the, you know, the paper. <clears throat> yeah, so, so, so one of the things that I, that I saw with, with writing this, this article and that I found extremely interesting was, was the difference between the expression levels of almost all the well-known genes of the innate antiviral immune system within the different uh, patient groups. Um, so just a little bit of background. I know probably everyone here knows the severity and the impact of this disease and especially getting it as a child or adolescent, the amount of work, fear, and insecurity that comes with it. However, I would just kind of shortly touch upon the fact that the incident of uh, type 1 diabetes is increasing, and it can't, it can't just, it cannot be explained only by, uh, by genetics. Um, the environment plays a huge role, and as you can kind of see on the, on the graph on the right, especially in the Western world, the incident is, is high to, to basically very high. Um, and again, even though we know a lot about the genetics of the disease, the environment plays a bigger and bigger role of, uh, of, of the pathogenesis. Um, and especially such as uh, viruses, interviral viruses, 
and also the, the intestinal microbiota and possibly the permeability in, in the gut. Another thing that I actually found very, uh, very important to kind of keep in mind, especially when going through the research and articles, is sometimes the lack of differentiation of the different types of diabetes. Um, we've, uh, when, we're, when we're talking about which type of diabetes and, and, and basically that's because why, is that, why that's important is, well, depending on the type of diabetes, the pathogenesis and the cause is different, therefore prevention and cure will be as well. Um, and maybe even within type one diabetes, there might be multiple causes of the disease. Hence, it's really important to figure out what happens before the onset of, of, of the disease. So the pathogenesis of, of type one diabetes have three factors, um, the, the genetic predisposition and the environment. Um, and of course, also the, the mechanism of it, the priming of the outer reactive T cells uh, that causes the destruction of, of, of beta cells. <clears throat> and I actually found this online from The Lancet and I actually feel like this kind of gives a really great overview of what we already found out about type one diabetes causing the onset, but actually also how far we still have to go um, because basically a lot of things can influence the disease at many different times during uh, basically during your life um, lifetime. And, and it's so important to actually kind of figure out what, what factor does what, when, and where. And we just talked about some of the, the things that especially Carsten have mm. already contributed to the, to, the, to the research of diabetes. And we also have some, some other things that we, that we know can, can maybe reduce the risk of, of the autoimmunity, but it actually says it really well on, on, on the bottom part of this slide is that the heterogeneity of, of type one diabetes might be explained by an individual's genetics and exposure to different environmental triggers at, <coughs> life stage, uh, at different life stages. And it is here where I think our paper actually comes in and, and gives us a really good idea where to start looking. So basically what you're seeing on, on this slide is, is the, the heat map, <coughs> from, um, the heat map from, from the paper where if you actually are just kind of looking at it over uh, like an overview of it, it's, it's actually interesting to see that, well, let me start over. Basically we have four different groups of, of patients that are um, compared to a control group. So we have AB uh, autoantibody positive, which is the first group. We have a small group of type one diabetes patient that has been newly diagnosed from the David study. And then we have a group of uh, type one diabetes patient that have had diabetes mm -hmm. for a longer period of time. And then we actually also had a group of type two diabetes patient just to make sure that what we found was actually specific for, for type one diabetes. And, and one of the things that is kind of, it's a trend, it's not significant, but the trend is actually to seem to be that in the out antibody positive patient, basically the pre-diabetic people, somehow the, or, or for some reason, the, the innate anti-immune system is, is, I don't want to say lazy, but it doesn't seem to be working as well as it's supposed to be. Whereas in the type one diabetes newly diagnosed, they're uh, significantly upregulated, uh, and actually slightly upregulated as well is in uh, in the in the patients with uh, with a longer uh, with diabetes for a longer period of time. So basically, when you have something that is bluish, the gene is 
downregulated compared to the control group. If it's reddish, it's upregulated compared to the control group. And some of the, the genes that I uh, kind of stumbled uh, or kind of found extremely interesting was the, the receptors TLR4 and TLR7, and especially TLR7, because it's actually activated by enterovirus, which has already been associated with type 1 diabetes, and it's actually significantly downregulated in pre-diabetic uh, patients and significantly upregulated in type 1 diabetes, patients that is newly diagnosed. And both these receptors actually lead to activation of the innate antiviral immune system, and especially these genes called interferon-stimulated genes, which are used in the cell to basically clear pathogens. Um, and as you can see, there are, it's not only just one pathway of these uh, interferon-stimulated genes, it's actually multiple of the, of the bigger pathway of of, of the ISGs that, um, that is significantly upregulated in, in, in type one diabetes, newly diagnosed type one diabetes. What, was, what made it even more interesting was that when we actually looked at SNPs, which is uh, a single nucleotide polymorphism, um, basically just one change of a base in, a base in, the, in the DNA, we actually found a lot of SNPs Newly, uh, newly found SNPs that was associated to, to type 1 diabetes and placed uh, within these same genes that we had seen dysregulated on the RNA level of, um, of, of seen dysregulated at the, the RNA level in the, in the islets of, of these uh, different patient groups that we were looking at. This is a, an overview of, it, of our data from the article and it's a very technical figure. I'm not gonna go into all the details, However, what is kind of important to notice that all these genes um, is basically involved in the antiviral response or the program cell deaths or the activation of the adaptive immune response. And if you're actually looking at it, the ones that are colored have some sort of changes to them compared to a control group. And when you're kind of looking at it, that's a lot of genes that isn't, they're not necessarily not working, but it also seems like they might not be working optimally in, in the cells. For example, the beta cells and the beta cells are already working hard at producing insulin to keep our blood glucose within, within range. So if you think about it, if these genes are already not completely working uh, or not working the way that they were supposed to be working, it might not take that much of stress from the environment in some shape or form. Before, uh, before it's actually too much for, for, for example, the, the, the beta cells. What I kind of find interested by our data is, is the fact that the innate immune systems, the innate antiviral immune system seems to be so involved in the onset or in, in the lead up to, to the onset of, of diabetes. The immune system, the innate immune system is activated within the first zero to 24 hours of, of anything kind of entering your system and causing some sort of inflammation. And the thing that is really important with a, with a disease like, like type 1 diabetes is that to figure out when and how early all these changes actually happen. If we need to, if we, if we want to somehow prevent it or cure it, we need to figure out how early all these changes that causes the disease, that causes basically normal working islets to suddenly um, be pushed into a pre-diabetic phase where suddenly in the periphery, 
basically uh, cells, uh, autoaggressive cells or T cells starting to kind of be in, in the area of, of the eyelids and infiltrate them. And basically in the end, we end up with, uh, with destruction of, uh, of beta cells and um, symptomatic uh, type one diabetes. So the earlier we can kind of figure out when this innate immune system actually starts to have an impact, the better, because that also will help us figure out, well, when would preventive measures have the best impact? And it's definitely one of those things where preventing something from, from breaking uh, in, in, instead maybe of trying to fix something that is already broken might be a way of doing it. Sometimes we also need to be able to fix something that is broken by understanding why it's breaking in the first place. So we, we really need to figure out where the biggest impact of, of the genetics, of the environmental factors um, uh, are coming. And, and, and basically before that can happen, we need to have more knowledge about the, the interplay between the, the different organs in the pancreas. We, we need to understand the genetics and the environmental factors and how they're causing the, the type one diabetes. Um, and the different pathways involved and their interaction with each other. And again, the big question uh, is why are the beta cells so, so vulnerable? And again, why, when can we actually have the biggest impact with preventive measures, especially like phenofibrat that we were talking about? Um, could we maybe see if we could catch people earlier, maybe it would have an even, even bigger impact. Um, so could we, or could we have, could we find some other things that could maybe help out in the womb if we could somehow predict who, um, who may be, uh, be uh, predisposed to, to developing type 1 diabetes? Or even when our eyelids are still working the way that they're supposed to be working, somehow help these individuals that are predisposed to, to keep on um, having a pancreas that is, uh, is working the way that it's supposed to be working. And I, I do actually believe that, that the paper that we came out with um, is, is a very good starting point, point of, of figuring some of all of these things out. And with that, I just want to say thank you to all the people that was involved in making this happen. That's fantastic. <clears throat> um, I wanted to just see if we could talk a little bit about the genes <laughs> that you did find in your March 2021 Diabiologia paper you found that the most aberrant genes were in a group of uh, interferon-stimulated genes. Uh, OAS1 increased by 111%, MX1 increased by 142%, and ISG15 increased by 197%. If we talk a little bit about what, what is ISG15 associated with in uh, a normal state? What is it doing? So, so, basically, so basically, all of these different pathways, the... the the 25A pathway, which consists of the OAS and RNA cell, the MX uh, proteins, the, the ISG15, they all have different roles in trying to avoid or trying to stop the virus when it's kind of entering mm -hmm. the, the cell. And are, are they sequential in their um, actions or no? Or is it all at once? Um, it's, it's basically depending on, on where in the cycle of the, the uh, where in the life cycle of the virus. Uh, so, so basically, so I, I'm, I'm not a biologist, uh, so <laughs> bear with me, but basically 
as far as I remember, the, the MX proteins are part of the whole packing up the, the virus or the entry of the virus, trying to stop the virus there, where the ISG15 is in uh, trying to basically, again, avoid the, the whole uh, RNA of the, or, or the protein or, or basically avoid the, the, the virus to, to, um, to translate, transcribe the, the proteins that they need. Mm-hmm. and kind of <clears throat> target them for degradation. And where the OAS RNSL pathway is, is kind of uh, a guard dog in the, in the cytoplasm of the cell where they kind of, especially OAS kind of senses if any double-stranded RNA appears because it's an unnatural thing to be present in the cell. Yeah. So it can activate RNSL that then can go in and actually uh, cleave the, the virus, single-stranded RNA from the virus, or even the host's own single-stranded RNA. Can you speculate why someone who has T1D for a long time does not have these upregulation, the upregulation of these genes? Well, th- to be honest, it, it kind of makes sense because at some point you kind of see the system reach some sort of uh, a normal level where the, the thing, the, the, the high upregulation that we might see in the, in the type 1 diabetes uh, newly diagnosed, I definitely do believe that the whole disease might be activated or somehow aggravated at, uh, from a virus. But why we see them still being upregulated might also just be because these genes are also part of the program cell deaths. So we might also see <coughs> upregulated because the beta cells are basically breaking. It, the other thing could also, <clears throat> the other thing just disappeared from my brain that I was about to say, but, mm-hmm. but the other thing could also, could, could also basically be like, like there is some sort of virus present, um, but I think the prolonged the prolong, uh, increase of them might just be because we're seeing the, the beta cells breaking. Yeah. It also kind of is curious, like in, in antibody positive individuals, you know, you don't see that same signature. It almost suggests like there's a real discrete window which is really, um, you know, companies like Prevention Bio are kind of going after that window to, you know, stop the actual infection of the beta cells by the virus. So I think that this is really uh, great that you guys have, you know, identified this, this sort of window of activity. And I didn't know if Carson, do you want to speak, um, weigh in here uh, on, on the topic? Yeah, I should mention that for years ago, we have um, published that this 2,5 uh, synthase system is six times more active in beta cells than in alpha cells. And this could be an explanation. I'm not, I'm not saying it's the explanation, but it could be an explanation why the beta cells uh, are the ones that are destroyed at the very end by T cells and not the alpha cells. It's mentioned in this paper as well, but it's published for. So the two five pathway is is more active in beta cells than in alphas. Yes, that's right. Six times we have found. Oh, six times, yeah. And so that is interesting. How how might we start to think about that? You know, the the environmental insults you mentioned. You know, cow's milk, gluten. I mean, it's. It, Type 1 diabetes is on the rise, right? And, and then so we think, oh, maybe. 
there are some environmental changes, you know, uh, post-industrialism, it seems to be on the rise. Um, type one diabetes yeah. seems to be on the rise and maybe there's impact in our, I guess, cow's milk, gluten, how might that be different and interacting with beta cells than it did historically? Because I mean, it is interesting. There's a large incidence of type one diabetes in the Scandinavian countries. And those countries are, uh, the diet is very cow's milk based, isn't it? We, we, we definitely do like our milk um, and our milk products. <laughs> yeah. but, but how could that have changed? I mean, that's been, that's, you know, that uh, the evolution of eating and, uh, you know, uh, there's just a science article about how, you know, how, how the humans and cows, the milk sort of evolved together. But it's like, how, how, why did that, uh, why wasn't there more incidence of type one diabetes uh, seen earlier in this kind of historical diet? Uh, well, one of my ideas is, is definitely that probably the way that we're processing things can, can have a, an impact on it. But it's also one of those things where maybe maybe it's not just one thing that it's the cause maybe it's multiple things that's the cause of it yeah um, like the cow's milk and the gluten sort of environmental things set it up and then when a virus comes in this maybe window, you know something yeah maybe like with 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 a touch of the 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 hygiene hypothesis of of it all i mean it it is it's it's one of those things again to to back to 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 the heat map where it, it's kind of interesting that it seems like there's a tendency of uh, a trend of, of the immune system kind of being slow or lazy. So, so I mean, maybe it's also a genetic uh, evo evolution that we haven't found yet. Um, I mean, that's also one of the things that was so interesting in, in the paper that we found, that we found so many new um, SNPs um, and it could also maybe be some, some epigenetics of it all. Um, that haven't been taken into consideration yet. It's, yeah. it's, it's definitely one of the things where I'm thinking, we know a lot about the disease, but I also think there's a lot of things we don't know yet. Um, and I think more biomarkers and especially within the innate, uh, innate immune system could, could be of interest. The other thing is looking at, at the interaction between, for example, the gut and the pancreas um, could, could be of, of interest of trying to explain what we are seeing. Yeah, uh, I mean, there definitely um, is a is an interaction there. I wondered if uh, Carson, if you could comment on the sphingomyelin. If we talk about sphingomyelin, and you know how it may impact beta cells, could there be a way that sphingomyelin um, protects from viral from from viral assault on beta cells in some ma manner? I mean, is there a way to track whether or not in the presence of sphingomyelin that these genes, these dysregulated islet genes, you know, don't get so dysregulated. I don't know, just sort of throwing it out there. Yeah, it might could influence the stress of uh, beta cells and uh, uh, we are thinking on, on that at the moment. I should mention um, the, the, the cleanness of the surroundings, you know, in uh, Karelian, which is divided between Finland and Russia. In the Russian side, they are not that clean. In Finland, they're extremely clean, and the incidence uh, is up to five times 
of diabetes higher in Finland than in Russia, and also in our in Denmark and US, of course, there's clean and maybe too clean. Um, but that's not easy to explain, especially not from the for the female part of the population. They want, yeah, as you know, things should be clean, clean, clean. And that's maybe not physiological. And we are from the Stone Age where everything was much more dirty. Uh, so I think that's a really main factor. Um, and yeah, the sphingolitis, I hope we come up with some more new things, as I told you before, about um, how it's um, acting. And uh, that's an exciting area at the moment, I should say. I wondered if we could open it up <clears throat> to some questions from the audience. I would also, uh, while we're waiting, um, how about when you found um, the 27 novel SNPs, how might those SNPs, that larger group, be impacting um, the phenotype. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's gonna be my work for the next couple of years <laughs> because we do actually that that is the next big question is like how are they actually impacting the the phenotype of the genes? Do they actually have a a, a direct impact on on the genes like the actual protein um, or is it something? Could it actually be something to do with changing the epigenetics of right. of the gene within the promoter region, which which is gonna be it's gonna be so interesting to to look into and and um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of work uh, um, for me for the next couple of years to to try and figure that one out. Yeah, we, is, just, we just spoke to Steve Rich at UVA recently, and he said that a lot of the um, genes that they've seen that to be dysregulated, right, are found in, are found, are not encoding regions. Yeah. So, that's so and, and that's, that's also, I mean, as I was saying, I've, I've been working with at least the 25A system for, for a long, long time. And, and I mean, SNPs are extremely interesting, interesting to look at, but, but sometimes it's not always that easy to see how they actually have an impact. So even though we might have found these uh, huge amount of, of genes it, uh, or SNPs, it might not actually be, actually be all of them that have uh, a direct impact on, on, the, on the disease. However, I'm, I'm really interested in, in looking in the ones that we found in the OAS family, uh, just upstream of, of the that, uh, transcription start site. Um, especially in combination with uh, with some other SNPs that that, that uh, other groups have have shown within the within the OAS genes, um, because I know that I know the basically because this pathways uh, because all of these pathways the inter interferon stimulated genes are so important um, for the cell and upholding the cell's viability. It's they're so well regu well regulated. And especially in the OAS um, one, two, and three, there's actually a huge difference, even though they're relatively similar, actually a huge difference in the way that they're inter reacting or what they're contributing to with, within, the, within the cells. So it's gonna be interesting to, to look into that, but, um, but it is, is some of the work that needs to be done. Can I also ask, you know, for OAS uh, one, MX1 and ISG15, the three that were really um, most aberrant, 
Um, they are those um, differences seen in other autoimmune diseases, some of the cousin diseases like you know MS, RA, lupus, etc. Yeah, I don't necessarily have seen IST fifteen, but but MX the, the MX proteins and and OAS have have definitely been uh, been involved in in other. Actually, in my old lab, despite the fact that we were a uh, in my old lab where we work with uh, virus-induced cancers, we looked at the 2,5-A system in colitis um, and, um, and they were also involved in, in, in basically the permeability of, of that disease. It's, it's definitely, it, it makes sense, um, but it is, it's, it's also a pathway that's extremely hard to work with. So, and, and even with the MX, proteins and the, the ISG-15, there's actually not that much research out there because they are extremely hard to work with. So you kind of have to be a little bit crazy to, <laughs> to keep working on them. <laughs> you mean they're just the protocols are finicky? Yeah, and they're just, they're just, they're just so difficult to actually get expressed on protein, protein level. For example, the OAS genes, despite the fact that they might actually be um, that we actually saw that they were extremely dysregulated. For some reason, we didn't see RNA-cell, which is basically dependent on the OAS genes to get activated. That wasn't uh, significantly regulated, uh, dysregulated. So, so that's one of the things that is difficult to, to work with. The other thing is just to get it to express on protein level, because basically the 2,5-A pathway, if within hours, it can kind of, um, go to the max and then within half an hour be down. So it's, it's kind of like, it basically goes like a wave. So it, it can be, it can be difficult to catch it at the right time. Mm, yeah. To get, to really detect it. Yeah. I'm curious as to whether or not anyone's done work on these three um, genes in context of COVID. Oh, they have. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, maybe that'll give a repository of of data that can, you know, can be tapped into and um, viewed in context of type one diabetes. Yeah, it's 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 definitely something that I'm keeping my eye on. <laughs> I'm sure. This has been so fa uh, so fascinating. I really enjoyed this, and um, and thank you so much to both of you, uh, Drs. Pedersen and uh, Bouchard. Um, we're really interested to see what comes next and also to keep an eye on uh, the patient uh, whose treatment with uh, phenofibrate by Dr. Bouchard has kept uh, her in remission for three years. So this is, this is very, uh, very, un, I mean, uh, not, maybe not unusual, but it's, it's, it's definitely something to watch. And I feel like there needs to be more of a spotlight on it. I would also, um, encourage and invite uh, everyone um, in your realm um, over in uh, Copenhagen uh, at Riggs Hospital and to join us in, um, you know, keeping, uh, keeping your eye on what we're doing here at the, at the D Challenge. We are, um, we have a consensome, um, we're offering it uh, to people to mine and um, we're hoping that um, you know, that we'll be able to kind of pull some interesting genes out of this consensome, which has been developed and created by the Signaling Pathways Project led by Neil McKenna at uh, Baylor Medicine. So 
um, sort of exciting times in the world of genetics and uh, we appreciate all you're doing in that field. So thank you again for talking to us. Thank you so much for having us. Have a great rest of your day. Yeah, thank, thank you. you also for me. Thank you. Thanks you too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.